All right. Here we go. So it's uh, our fourth Sunday of Advent. Uh, we've been in a series called Don't Settle for Just a Savior. We've been looking at different, different aspects of Jesus' Advent, which means coming. Oftentimes, we, we discuss this right at the very beginning of the series, that we typically just look at Jesus as a Savior at Christmas time, which he absolutely is, but there's more to it than just this Savior piece. We've talked so far about how Jesus has also come to be a Lord, to be a prophet for us and share the word of God. He, we, last week, we talked about how Jesus is an absolute friend and just the magnitude of that statement. And this week we're going to talk about what it means that Jesus has come to be a mediator. So we're going to pray and then we'll, uh, we'll get started with this idea. So let's bow. <clears throat> Jesus, thank you so much that you are not a one-dimensional God. Thank you so much that you have come to do more than we could have possibly dreamed of or imagined You have a desire to be intimately involved in every aspect of our life. And because of the variety in which you function in our lives, you make that possible. Thank you, Jesus, that you have done all these things for us. And today, as we we explore this piece about you being a mediator, I pray that this wouldn't just be knowledge where we're understanding a a kind of a technical term or a bit of an obscure idea, but instead, Lord Jesus, you would show us how we can relate to you on a day-to-day basis because of your mediation ministry in our lives. We love you so much, Jesus. Just open our hearts to receive you more and to live more for your glory today and tomorrow and forever. Amen. I'm going to start this morning with a little bit of a story here because mediator is kind of a... a I don't, I don't like getting clunk, you know, bogged down with clunky technical terms, so I figure I, I want to share a story of how I, I saw a mediator working in my life. So when I was a little kid, I remember it was, it was shortly after Easter, and, and my brother and sister and I, we had all had our big stash of Easter goodies, right? So I think my, my sister and I found one more chocolate bunny that was left over from Easter, and not one of those hollow ones that you bite into and are disappointed, and your heart is just filled with anguish and sorrow, but one of those solid ones, one of those solid Easter bunnies where you have to like unhinge your jaw and gain extra power to mm, just bite through this thing, and everyone starts at the ears, don't they? Yeah, that makes sense, right? That's the right way to do it. So we, my sister and I found this thing, and we asked my mom, can we have it? Can we share it? And she says, yeah, absolutely, but... You have to make sure you find your brother and share it with him too. So we took this chocolate bunny outside. It was was late, a late Easter that year, so it was a beautiful day. We went outside and we looked around for my brother. We called his name once, JR. (laughs) Not very loud. And it's like, oh, well, I guess he's not coming. And we just mowed down on this, on this rabbit. My sister and I, we were, I don't know how old we were at the time, pretty young, but we, we polished that thing off in seconds. And then my brother shows up, and he sees us just popping in the last bite of this chocolate morsel. And he's like, hey, where's my rabbit? And we said, well, we called you, and you didn't come. So he went inside, ratted us out, and then my mom comes out, and she mediated Because she had given us terms of which we were to abide by in how we were going to eat this rabbit. We violated those terms, so now she was going to make things right. You know that big cluster of grapes that you can get from the store in a bag? She gave my brother the whole thing. and I I don't know if she told him or not, but it seems like she did. She said, go out and eat this in front of Jeff and Jen. Because they didn't share their rabbit with you, so you don't have to share this with them. We said, well, that's not fair. And she said, oh, yes, it is. (laughs) 
So my mom acted like a mediator in that moment. And and that's where I kind of want to start this morning. We have to understand what a mediator is if we're going to understand the the ministry of Jesus as a mediator in our lives. So let's, let's ask this question. What exactly is a mediator? The term mediator has two equally important meanings or functions that help us to have a full understanding of what a mediator truly is. So first, a mediator intervenes to restore peace between two parties, kind of like what my mom did in some ways, right? When two people or two groups are in disagreement about something, you need a third party to come in and restore relationship that maybe has been strained or stressed. Uh, The second piece here is that a mediator also ensures that all the terms of an agreement between two parties are met. Now, my mom kind of demonstrated that a little bit in the story, but another way in life that we can see how a mediator ensures that the terms of of an agreement are kept is like if you were to look at a judge or a lawyer, after someone dies, there's a will and testament, right? The the judge or the lawyer, they're the ones that say, okay, according to this will, this person gets this, this person gets that, oh, and there's this condition if person so-and-so is going to get this piece of of their estate, right? So they ensure that the agreement is followed to a T. So a mediator is someone who works to bring peace and they work to honor an agreement that has been made. And if we understand Jesus at all, it's not hard to see that that's exactly what he has done for us. One of the most amazing purposes of Jesus in coming to earth was that he acted as a mediator, not just between us as people, but between us and a holy and perfect God. Jesus came to restore peace between us and God and to ensure that the terms of that peace agreement were kept. We're going to talk about both of these things a little bit this morning, but I think in order to understand our need for a mediator, we need to understand, first of all, the conflict that we walked into or that we brought on ourselves between us and God. We have to understand that God's original intent was to create people in his image to be like him and to live in peace with him. And more than just peace, God actually created us to be in a mutually loving relationship with him. If you know your Bible and you've looked at Genesis 1 and 2, the account of creation, you can clearly see that God intended for people to be the crown jewel, the pinnacle of all creation. The earth and the mountains and the, and the oceans and the animals, as majestic as they are, they are just a canvas for which we as people were created to live on. But this perfect design was tampered with when we, humanity, sinned by rebelling against the very God who created us. We all have disobediently turned our backs on God thinking that we know better than him. We kicked God off of the throne of our hearts and we put ourselves on that throne instead. We loved ourselves more than we love God or instead of loving God. We chose to live to serve our desires rather than to serve the purposes that God gave us when he created us. We violated the terms which uh, which God designed for us to live under. So now, instead of being at peace with God, we are in conflict with God. So after Genesis 1 and 2, immediately in Genesis 3, all the way through to the final book of the Old Testament, we can see the tension and the conflict that people lived with under God because of that sin and that rebellion. 
In, in Psalm 14.3, it says, All have turned away. All have become corrupt. There was no one who does good, not even one. That word corrupt, whew, that's a stinger. What it truly means is that people are tainted because of sin. It's, we are tainted. We're, we're spoiled. We are no longer the way we are meant to be. Sin has ruined us. That's what it means when it says that we are corrupt. Romans 3.23, for everyone has sinned and all fall short of God's glorious standard. Here's the standard that God set and none of us have even come close. We've all bowed out way before we even had that standard in sight. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. What sin brings into our life is a curse of spiritual death. And this is the conflict that exists between us and God. And this is why we need a mediator. We need someone to help deal with this sin conflict and restore peace between us and God. The crazy thing is that throughout history, people have actually turned to themselves and says, Oh, I can do this. I don't need anyone else to bring peace into my life. I can create that between God and me. That's no problem. The crazy thing is that, that we, we, we think this way even today after people throughout all of history have failed to bring peace between them and God. When people recognize that things aren't good between God and themselves, they try to smooth things over through any human effort possible. People try to, to make themselves look better by doing nice things or by, you know, executing good deeds, that kind of stuff. And we think that our good deeds will somehow erase or cover over all the bad things that we've ever done. Good deeds in the eyes of a perfect and holy God are like trying to disguise something disgusting by making it look like something good. So when I was in uh, a young adult group as, an, as a guy in my late teens, early 20s, we had a Christmas um, event. The week before this Christmas event, the person who was leading this young adult group, they said, here's what we're going to do next week. Everyone's going to bring an ingredient, and we're going to have a competition with those ingredients. And that's all the information they gave us. So literally, everyone in this, in this college and career, career group or this young adult group, there are about 60 of us, we went home, and the next week we all came back with an ingredient. And they didn't give us any parameters at all, just anything from your kitchen that you can use to make something. So we showed up, and then we found out that this was a Christmas baking challenge. So I was like, oh, okay, maybe I should have thought this through a little bit better, but we didn't have that information. We were randomly put into groups, and then with the ingredients that you had, you had to do your best to make something delicious. So in my group, I can't remember what we brought, but I definitely remember what we did not bring. No one had any sugar. So Christmas baking was going to be very difficult. And I don't think anyone had any cocoa or anything like that either to give anything flavor to what we had. But what we did have was like flour and cornstarch and baking soda, things that really you wouldn't eat on your own. So nonetheless, oh, and one person brought food coloring, smart. So we took these ingredients and we, and we looked at them and we thought, hey, well, we could get some color variation here. And we decided, let's make a trifle. So we had this glass bowl, it was beautiful, and we started layering in stuff. We would just mix stuff together, we would bake it a little bit, it kind of looked like dough, layered it in there, and, and I don't know what we finished it with, but it kind of resembled whipped cream on the top. It looked amazing. 
And then the judges came around, and, and this judge, she grabbed a spoon, and she says, guys, this looks outstanding. And we were looking around at everyone else's projects, feeling pretty good about ourselves. She dove into this thing with a huge spoonful and popped it in her mouth, and after her first bite, she completely gagged and spewed it all over the kitchen because this thing tasted horrible. So in her eyes, it looked amazing. But in reality, it was disgusting. So what's the truth? Was it amazing just because it looked that way? No. The truth was, it was gross. And just like, just like the way that we try to bring our good deeds before God to cover up our sin, we think that that's an amazing thing that we've done. But in the eyes of, once again, our holy and perfect God, those good deeds are gross. We simply don't have what it takes because remember, sin has infected us. We are tainted, right? So Isaiah 64 verse 6 says that we are all infected and impure with sin. When we display our righteous deeds, they are nothing but filthy rags. Like autumn leaves, we wither and fall and our sins sweep us away like the wind. Man, that is a verse that just brings things right back to reality. This is what it looks like to God when we try to mediate for ourselves and point out all the things that we think are so good in our life that are good enough to save us from our sins that we've committed. We can't offer anything good to God because sin has infected our lives and everything we now produce is also infected by sin. Sin is still sin. No matter how many good things we do, it cannot hide the things that we've committed, any of those good deeds. They cannot hide the sin that we've committed. Basically, we can never erase the sins that make, that make it, and it, that makes it impossible for us to create peace between us and God. See, and this is why Jesus is the only mediator. He's our only chance. He's the only shot that we got. And this is where he comes in in our story this morning. The conflict between God and people, it couldn't be resolved through any effort of a human person because we were all sinful. But Jesus came to earth and he lived a sinless life. The first person in the history of the world and the only person who will ever live a sinless life. That's what Jesus was able to accomplish. And this allowed him and only him to mediate peace between God and us. 1 Timothy 2 verse 5 says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man, Jesus Christ. I love the way that the, that, that verse says the man. I love that. It's true, though, he, he was a man, even though he was fully God. Only Jesus can look up and say, hey, look at my life. I've lived an innocent, sinless life. The amazing thing is that Jesus didn't just mediate peace, a peace agreement between God and us, but that the fact is Jesus is the agreement between God and us. 1 Timothy 2.5 continues by saying, Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people, this has now been witnessed at the proper time. Because of Jesus' innocence, Jesus is the only acceptable sacrifice for our sins in the eyes of God. Jesus, this mediator of ours, fulfilled both pieces of what a mediator does. By paying the price for our sins through his death and resurrection, Jesus carried out the terms of God's agreement to forgive. And because of this act of his death and resurrection, peace was restored between people and God. 
When Jesus mediated, or what Jesus mediated for us is called the new covenant or the new agreement between God and people. The first agreement or the old covenant was when God gave the Old Testament law to the Jewish people on Mount Sinai. In that instance, Moses was the mediator. But remember, Moses is just like you and me. He is sinful. He has shortcomings. He has also fallen short of God's glorious standard. So all he could do was bring in a temporary agreement that was a placeholder. The purpose of the old covenant was simply to reveal our sin to us so that we would actually see the need for a permanent savior. Galatians 3 verse 24 says, So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. So when it says here that the law was a guardian, basically that means that the law or the old covenant, the Ten Commandments, all that stuff, it was kind of like our trainer or our tutor. It was showing us what was right and what was wrong, but the law itself could not save us from doing what was wrong. Romans 3 verse 19 and 20 says, Obviously, the law applies to those to whom it was given, for its purpose is to keep people from having excuses and to show that the entire world is guilty before God. For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. So then Jesus, he comes as this mediator of a new agreement. Because that old covenant, it couldn't do what God desired it to do fully. And Jesus came. And in Hebrews 8 verse 6 it says, But now Jesus, our high priest, has been given a ministry that is far superior to the old priesthood. That's the old covenant. For he is the one who mediates for us a far better covenant with God based on better promises. What we need to understand here is we see this priesthood thing and we and say, well, where does that come in? What does that have to do with mediation? Well, priests in the Old Testament were temporary mediators between God and people. That's exactly what Moses was like. He was a priest. He was in the line of this priesthood that trickled down throughout the Old Testament. And these priests, they would offer animal sacrifices so that people could be cleansed when they broke the law of God. Jesus is like one of those priests, but only better. His, his mediation is eternal and his forgiveness is eternal. Not just until we sin again and we need another sacrifice to cleanse us again, but his mediation and his forgiveness last forever. The better promise that Hebrews 8.6 is talking about is this. Anyone who places their faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone is forgiven for all their sins and peace is restored between them and God. Isn't that a way better promise than having to sacrifice a goat every time you screw up in life? It makes so much more sense that Jesus came once and for all to do everything that we could not do on our own. Romans 3.22 says, We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. And then the result we can see in Romans 5.1, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through who? Our Lord Jesus Christ, this mediator that we're talking about this morning. So there it is. There's the peace that only is accessible through Jesus. The first covenant, the law, only showed us our need for Jesus' mediation ministry. And he, Jesus, gave us peace with God that we could not secure for ourselves. 
Now, it's interesting, when we talk about Jesus' mediation ministry, we're, you know, our minds probably a lot of the time, we go to Easter, we go to forgiveness for sin, death and resurrection, and it's like, great, that was awesome. Thank you for doing that, Jesus. But what we actually are mistaken in saying that is, we should be saying, thank you for continuing to do that, Jesus. Because Jesus' mediation ministry actually continues today. It's not just a mediation of the past, but Jesus is continually mediating between us and God, even right now. Um, Hebrews 7, verse 24 to 25 talks about this. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. That word intercede is a helpful one because to intercede is what a mediator does for someone. Jesus came to intercede God's will to us, and he came to intercede on behalf of us to God to create a reconciliation and a bonded relationship. Again, if we look back at the priests of the Old Testament, they were considered temporary mediators between God and people offering sacrifices for sins. They were temporary because none of them lived forever. However, Jesus is a priest who continually mediates between God and us because Jesus lives forever. His mediation continues on. When we say Jesus intercedes for us, that means that Jesus is having a continual conversation with God the Father on our behalf, and it's for our benefit. Jesus is talking to God, asking him to bless us, to nourish us spiritually, to strengthen us, to forgive us, to restore us, to renew us, to give us hope, and to lead us day by day in our lives. It's not that Jesus just said these things once upon a time 2,000 years ago. Jesus is still interceding and mediating for us today. Jesus is petitioning God on our behalf every day of our lives. Romans 8.34 confirms this. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is interceding for us. Guys, isn't that amazing? I don't love you enough to go to bat for you every day, even though I do love you. I don't have the energy or the discipline to pray and ask for God to work in your life every day, even though I do it often. But someone who does it tirelessly out of a place of never-ending love is Jesus. And he doesn't do it from earth to his Father in heaven. He does it from right beside the throne of God. That's incredible. That's a mediator who is going to the last, to the last possible step and beyond because his love for us is just that real. You know, through Jesus, we've also been given access in an unprecedented way to God. Hebrews 4, verse 14 to, to 16 has this to say. So then since we have a great high priest, that's Jesus, who has entered heaven, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. So Jesus has given us access to God that no one has ever experienced before his ministry of mediation. When Jesus gave up his spirit on the cross, the veil in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. This was a 30-foot high curtain that separated people from the very presence of God that dwelled in the inner room of the temple in Jerusalem. 
But Jesus has now permitted us to be in the presence of God. We didn't need a priest anymore to go into God's presence on our behalf. You don't need me as your pastor to go to God for you. We all have direct access to his throne. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says, Do you not know that your bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit? who is in you, whom you have received from God, you are not your own. So the, the, the church or the church building used to literally be the place where the Spirit of God dwelled. And people would physically have to go to where the Spirit of God was if they wanted to be at all close to him. Yet they still were denied access to have a, a direct link to him. Everything has changed because of what Jesus has mediated for us. You don't have to come to church on a Sunday to be close to God. You can cry out to him in your bedroom, in your car, at work. You can talk to him like he's right next to you because he literally is right inside of you, living in you. Because the temple has lost its significance at right now. But now your body, your soul is the temple of God. You are the holy of holies. You are that inner sanctuary. I love that. Because of this new access to God through what Jesus has done, we can without obstruction find the mercy and the grace that we need to help us when we're facing trials and temptations, when sin's getting the best of us. You don't have to come and tap me on the shoulder and say, Jeff, can you go and kill another animal and sprinkle its blood on the altar? I need you to do that for me because, you know, I, I, I sinned or I, I said something I shouldn't have. You can have that access. No goats are needed. No sheep are needed. You can call on the name of the Lord for forgiveness and find mercy and grace to help you when you truly need it. Basically, friends, this mediation of Jesus has changed everything. Everything. The old covenant is totally fulfilled, not abolished in Jesus. But now we don't live under it the same way that we used to. What Jesus has mediated for us is incredible. You know, and in, in praying and thinking about Jesus as a mediator this week, I began to wonder. I marveled at just the amazing access to God that Jesus has secured for us. I marveled at who I am in relation to a holy and perfect God. And I didn't even have the wherewithal to ask him to come and to mediate this kind of peace. I didn't know that this kind of thing could exist. Nobody did. We knew that there would be a Messiah that came. The, the people of the Old Testament knew that they were waiting for a Messiah. But I don't think they knew that it was as good as it was going to be. And, and, and the, the fact that Jesus has done all this for us and, and made us or allowed us to have this unlimited, unobstructed, direct access and relationship with God, it's staggering. And I, I began to wonder, you know, Am I really appreciating all that Jesus has done for me? Am, am, I, even, am I even considering the length that he has gone to and, and the depth of relationship that I now have through Jesus? Am I going as far with this new life that I have been saved to live be, be, that Jesus intended for me to have? Or am I stopping short? Am I, am I hesitating to go as deep as Jesus is inviting me to go? I wonder if I'm resisting something that Jesus is calling me to because the comforts of this world are too much of a temptation and I'm actually denying some of the access that Jesus has given me to God. I wonder if I'm resisting what he wants me to have. Am I settling for something inferior to what Jesus is offering me? 
Or, I guess the alternative is, am I enjoying all the benefits of Jesus' mediation ministry? You know, we, we came through a series before this that was called Abiding with Christ. There are people, the prophets of the Old Testament, the people that we hold in high regard, they heard the very word of God spoken into their mind and heart that they may speak it to other people. Yet it says in scripture that they longed for what we now have access to. These spiritual giants longed for the intimacy with God that Jesus has secured for us. We can, we can have access to that by sitting down with the word of God, by praying and hearing the voice of God, by speaking to that Holy Spirit that dwells within us, listening for his voice to speak to us and responding back. Yet, we say, well, that might require me to get up before 7 a.m. And we say, I need my sleep. Man, like God has given us such an amazing gift in this mediation ministry. Why don't we reach out and seize it? Why don't we take advantage of it? If we don't, we're basically saying, thanks, but no thanks. Galatians 2.20 is a summary of Jesus' mediation ministry. And I, I think it, if we look at the grammar in it, we're going to see something kind of interesting. Galatians 2.20 says this, My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The first sentence here in this verse, it starts by saying no longer, or, or at one point it says, no longer I who live. When, when we read that, what it's saying here is that my life as a sinner, my preferences, my desires, my ambitions are no more. What I prefer should be dead and gone. Because they have been crucified with Jesus on the cross. That was our sinful nature. So basically, who we were is no more if we have placed our trust in Jesus. And now, Christ lives in me. Jesus is alive in each and every one of us who have put our faith and trust in him. Now granted, some of us have seen that light that has been lit within us and we have fanned it into a larger and larger flame. Some of us have just left it as kind of like a pilot light on a stove. Nonetheless, Jesus is, is within us to varying degrees. We need to feed that flame. We need to stoke it. We need to offer it more fuel to burn inside of our lives. Anyone who denies the truth of Jesus... They have rejected Jesus as a mediator, and they're actually walking spiritually dead. Only people who have trusted Jesus are spiritually alive. You know, physically, we're all going to die someday. That's, that's a given. It's scary, actually, to think that there are people on the street and people in our churches who are already spiritually dead simply because they do not engage with God. They keep him at arm's length, saying, I believe... I believe in this idea about God, but as far as a relationship goes, I don't think I'm interested. I don't think I would tell a person who doesn't have a relationship with God, a, a regular relationship. I don't think I could say to them with confidence, you are spiritually alive. Christ is alive in you. I'm not saying that to scare us, but like that's the brevity of this situation. The second sentence here in this Galatians 2.20 passage says, So I live. That's present tense, okay? 
That's a very important thing to, to, to grasp here. Presently, today, I live to function and exist with Jesus. How? How do we live or how do we live today? By trusting in the Son of God. Trusting. Trusting. Not by I trusted, but I trust today in the Son of God. You know, it's funny, when we, when we hear testimonies in, in front of our church, you know, usually before someone's going to get baptized, and this is in all churches that I've ever been in, someone will stand up and say, you know, on this and this date, on this and this year, I made a decision and I trusted in Jesus as my Savior. You know, that's true, but I think that we need to change our, our verbiage. I think we need to change the way we say this. What we probably should say is, I started trusting and I'm continuing to trust in Jesus since this day. Because when we, when we look at our salvation decision as, a, as something we did in the past and we've accomplished that, we've checked that box, there's a little bit of a disconnect that happens. We disengage with Jesus after that. It's like, oh, I, I, I did the bare minimum of what I'm supposed to do in order to be considered a Christian kind of good enough. Let's move on and I'll start tackling some other things in life. But what, what it's meant to be is, I live in this earthly body today by trusting today in the Son of God today. If Jesus' mediation ministry continues today, don't we still have reason to trust in him today? We don't rest on a decision that we made years ago at Sunday school or Bible camp or kneeling by our beds or, or when we heard an evangelist. We don't rest on that decision we, we continue on with it because trusting is present tense. So I, I actually struggled with how to wrap this, this message up because we have this mediation that Jesus has offered us. Yes, it was enormous on the cross, but it still is going on today as we've understood. We made a decision based on something that happened in the past and how Jesus mediated peace for us, but we're still meant to continue today. You know, oftentimes I ask God, you know, is there a question that we're supposed to ask you? And then we'll spend some time quietly reflecting and, and just seeing if the Holy Spirit wants to speak into our lives. And we've done that before. But it's weird because this time, instead of God answering me with a question that, that we're supposed to ask him, I think he answered me with a question that he wants to ask us. In light of all that we've talked about with the past and the present mediation ministry of Jesus, I think he's asking us this morning, am I the God of your past or am I the God of your present? Because when we disengage after salvation and we go on to say, well, I'm done with that. I've become a Christian. Now I'm going to focus on my career. Now I'm going to focus on my family. Now I'm going to focus on education. You know what that means? When Jesus stops being the focus, we stop looking to him as our mediator, even though he continues that ministry today. I don't even know what to do. I haven't queued up anything, but I really think that this week, if, if, you, if you haven't written this question down or taken a picture of the screen already, I think you should. I think we all need to really sit with God and ask, whoa, Lord, I, I don't know what the answer is. Or at least we need to say, God, I am convinced more than anything. I, I know that I want you to be the God of my present. These are things that we have to wrestle with. Because if all we do is go away and say, I know that a mediator is someone who brings peace. And that's all I learned today. But we don't 
apply it here and, and really focus in on what our life is meant to be from today going forward, we miss the whole point. Jesus is a mediator not to get us out of hell. Jesus is a mediator to bring us into a relationship that changes our life forever.